the, the horrors, you know, that, you know, COVID has absolutely been, been a terrible, horrible thing to our country. You know, but the way that politicians have responded to it, you know, has, has made things worse. People are what so have, frustrated. John, what, what, have Repu- uh, what have Republicans done spe- specifically? What have Republicans at the congressional level, since we're talking about Congress now, what have Republicans done at the congressional level that would make people want to vote for them because of their handling of COVID? What have they done? Pushing back on, yes, pushing back on the spending, you know, pushing back on the, the, the give out giveaways. You know, Republicans in, in, our, in our Congress and, and in our Senate, you know, have tried to draw the line on, you know, we, we saw on the infrastructure bill, if it wasn't for uh, Senators Manchin and Cinema, you know, we, we would have a a debt package and a spending package that's just totally unsustainable for our children and grandchildren. And what I'm finding, you know, at, at the grassroots, you know, not just here in Illinois but around the country, is how parents are pushing back, you know, on what's going on in the schools, you know, and, and what's being taught. So I would say that that the main thing that we have to do is is get spending under control. We have also what happened in Afghanistan uh, was uh, under, under President Biden. You know, it was also a terrible thing. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that the Republicans in Congress and, and Senate offer better alternative to the total control that the Democrats. Danielle, let, under, me, uh, let me ask you a question, because uh, there is one constituency out there that is getting a lot of national publicity exposure at the moment, and those are uh, parents, either aggrieved parents, whether it's uh, the CRT issue, whether it's uh, transgender bathrooms, whatever it is, uh, mostly it's about mandates and about the handling of COVID and what, and what has been mandated by the state and or the federal government. Would you acknowledge that that constituency that's out there, they, they have an issue that's sort of seething out there, burning out there, that maybe at this particular moment, the Democrats are a little fearful that they're not quite sure uh, where that prairie fire will lead? Well, I think parents are tired. You know, parents are tired of you know, the uncertainty, um, you know, the sort of handling of COVID in the early days of the pandemic under President Trump, where, you know, kids were being told you can't go to school, you have to transition to online learning, um, you have to, uh, child care is, you know, no longer available. So parents have been for about a year and a half juggling, working from home with kids from home, trying to figure out like well how do they manage how do they make sure that ultimately food is it being able to put on the table and that all of the needs of their kids are being taken care of and so i think when i you know speak to friends who are uh who are raising children right now you know a lot of it comes down to i wish i had better access to childcare. i wish i had you know more options when it came to uh taking time off and taking care of my family and these are all things that democrats have been fighting for but do parents but do parents congress but danielle do parents want what do do mm -hmm. parents want do parents want to became become more engaged in in the school board elections do they want to raise their voices because terry mccall has said 
He's not going to listen to them. When we come back, your response to that question, I'm Bruce Dumont. And uh, we're going to go to uh, Danielle uh, Sendejas because I want to get your uh, reaction to the the growing alleged growing involvement of of uh, parents at, at at school boards and a controversial statement that was made by Terry McAuliffe in his campaign uh, to be the governor of uh, Virginia, in which he suggested that he really that that parents. Uh, you know, should not have any say on on uh, what goes into their classroom uh, curricula. So again, it's it's an issue that the Democrats and Terry McAuliffe have had to defend. It appears at the moment that it it's an issue that that maybe is uh, rubbing the wrong way in his campaign in Virginia. But I want to get your response, Danielle, as to whether or not you think this seething issue of parents being really upset with schools is is it is it getting riled up to the point where it could become a detriment to democrat uh, voters and democrat candidates well i think the you know the big piece about education is ultimately we want our kids to learn and we want them to be safe at school and we mm-hmm. want them to have a you know positive learning environment that includes you know, the needs of, of every student and not all kids are the same and not all kids come from the same background. And so ensuring that there is equity in education is an is an important you know piece. And, you know, I think sometimes when uh, when individual parents, you know, they think of their kid, which is perfectly fine and mm-hmm. and great. But what you know, when we're governing, we're thinking about every single kid's needs and that, you know, that perspective is certainly uh, it's certainly different when it comes to when you're trying to, you know, when you're trying to make laws and you're trying to implement programs and you're ta- trying to talk about about curriculum. And, you know, we certainly have seen this is, you know, sort of cycles in cycles out. You know, right now it's, it's COVID, it's vaccines, it's uh, critical race theory. But, you know, before it was, you know, talking about science curriculum and before that it was talking about, you know, various other issues that come in education. So I think we see these waves of sort of frustration of, you know, amongst parents' minds, but ultimately what lawmakers have to really look about, remember, is that there's a lot of parents who are still at home, who aren't showing up to the school board meetings, and who are just wondering where their next meal is going to come from. And I Mm -hmm. think that, you know, is the perspective that, you know, folks, uh, especially in the Democratic side, as they're pushing through paid family leave and child Mm -hmm. care and these other bits and pieces that are part of the the American Rescue Plan, as well as as infrastructure. Hold hold, hold up just just a second. I want to get, uh, before we get too much of a filibuster here, I want to go to to John Zom. And John, let me ask you the question. Uh, in in the in the central Illinois area, where you primarily primarily have your uh, area of influence, um, to what extent are school board and school board politics are they gravitating to either state legislative races or even some upcoming congressional races? Is that the Republicans have been looking for a way to to make education at least you know their issue or at least be more competitive with Democrats? Is this an opportunity for them to do it? And is it happening in, in your back backyard? Absolutely, Bruce. It, it's a huge issue, you know, not just here in Illinois, but, but around the country. Just how upset parents are 
uh, and that quote, you know, I wanted to hear it for myself from McAuliffe because I had heard it reported. So I went, watched the tape. I got the context, you know, around it. And, you know, it, it, what, what he said, I think, will result in his in the end, his defeat on Tuesday. But is it's, anybody it's is anybody so is it is there anybody in Illinois? I'm talking about within your sphere, okay? That you know, everybody knows what Terry McAuliffe said. My question to you is, as a political operative who's trying to get people elected and riled up and, and, and juiced up to, to vote uh, come you know November of, of next year, uh, is is it happening in Illinois to an extent? Where uh, where these issues are Illinois related and not necessarily something that a candidate for governor of uh, uh, of Virginia has uttered. I mean, how riled up yeah, are they? No, it's uh, very much so. Uh, out in, in the Chicago suburbs, places like uh, Plainfield, Illinois, for example, Oswego, Illinois, you know, out out the door crowds, you know, of upset upset parents, mm-hmm. you know, in suburban areas, you know, which are not always uh, fully conservative or Republican, you know, that have elected Democrats to office. Mm-hmm. And and these people, these parents are rightfully upset. They're turning to Christian schools, to homeschooling. They're turning, you know, and, and not everyone has that option. So they're expressing it to their local representatives. They want the state legislature to do more. But, but the problem is, you know, we have, have a governor, you know, that does not take uh, allow hearings on these issues, yeah. you know, from the state legislators. So the Republicans pushing back just aren't I wanna, able to uh, be I wanna, successful at it. I want to bring uh, Felix uh, Sharp into the conversation. Felix, uh, Mr. Caballero, uh, what's the uh, is is education this year? Is this a year where the Republicans maybe can do something with the issue where they've been very unsuccessful? for the last 50 years? American politics, uh, especially democratic politics, have uh, been uh, surrounded by uh, the education unions as long as I can remember. And the conservative right has been trying to bring down those unions, in particular the, the, uh, uh, well, in Michigan, it's the Michigan Education Association, teachers unions, uh, because of too much pay, uh, benefits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Education are the unions the too? Board. Are the unions too black? Do you think that too, the message there is too, too black the teachers, or too powerful? No, both. I think they're powerful. Okay. Uh, I don't believe the unions are too black. Okay. Uh, but education is where government hits the road for most people uh, in, in America because most uh, young families, especially, uh, they deal with the school, the local school district, every day. As a former school board member in the uh, Okemos Public School Board, that's one of the top districts in in the state of Michigan, uh, I, I sat at those school board members, uh, uh, school board meetings rather. Mm-hmm. And there are always, there are always, as Danielle mentioned, uh, there are always hot button issues that drive parents to those meetings. Uh, the pandemic escalated that because of the mask wearing and some some uh, some states refused to close their schools. And mm-hmm. so it, it's brought it to uh, to a hilt. But uh, but let me but, ask you, as a school board, former school board member. Yes. Should parents have any say at all in the curricula that's used in their children's schools? Parents and, and citizens should always have a say in their government, and the school district is a form of government. 
uh, but it has to be uh, it has to be planned, orchestrated, and, and an approach has to be taken to uh, allow for public input and parental uh, participation in that process. Ultimately, the professionals have to uh, finalize that curriculum. Kenton McCarthy, what's your response to that question? How much should parents be involved? Uh, quite a bit, but let me go back to what Danielle said. She wants to she wants to dismiss this as come some sort of secular cycle of being mildly agitated at government, and, and we go through this all the time. I don't think this is an education issue, and I don't think the GOP is capable of capitalizing on it at this point. I think the reason education is now at the forefront is over the last 18 to 24 months, we've seen government graduate from petty authoritarianism to what is approaching an apartheid state. We're, because of the COVID, because of the drastic draconian reaction to the COVID virus, the government and its unelected bureaucrats are creating and exerting more power to the point where you won't you know, I hate the word cancel culture because it treats it rather lightly. They want to cordon you off from society, financially, politically, legally, and sometimes physically. The brutality which the left treats those who aren't fully on board with either vaccinations, the Marxist CRT teachings in the school. Kenton, let me let, oh, let me let me let me ask specifically the question on the issue of COVID uh, uh, mandates or requirements uh, to be vaccinated. If the if the CDC, which is the the government entity, doesn't the CTT <laughs> don't don't they generally know more than any school board? about how to deal with public health issues in the country. They don't, they've only proven that they don't know, they won't admit what they don't know. And what they don't know is more what they do, more than they do know. They've made a farce out of the bureaucracy. They're bureaucrats first and foremost. They want to push people around. They've, they've been exposed as, as fraudulent as the vaccines that they espouse and they do you think no but literally do, do you do you think that literally uh, the people at the CDC are so corrupt that they are offering bad medical advice bad scientific advice to tens of I thousands told, of school you. districts around the country I mean I'm, I'm gonna I want to be specific about it do you think that the CDC is deliberately giving bad information to thousands of school districts around the country and giving them false information. I think they're giving them information that they don't even have that they hope to acquire. They're, How is they're that? Dreaming. I, to, I told you back in March of 2020, I was in your studio and I said a pandemic is much too important of a affair to be entrusted to doctors. And now that politicians have gotten involved, and the doctors have become politicians. Back, we continue with Beyond the Beltway, wherever you're listening this evening. Hopefully you're driving very carefully or uh, relaxed by the fireplace, if indeed you need a fireplace in some parts of the country you need it. Let's go to phone callers before we go back to our guests to respond to some things that Kenton McCarthy had to say. Uh, let's go to John listening to us 
in McHenry County, Illinois, not too far from where we're doing this broadcast. Go ahead, John. You're on line two. Thank you. Uh, good evening, all. And I want to go back into the 2022 midterms, you know, yes. a year from now, basically. Yes. And we're looking at what we've seen out of Washington during the 117th Congress and the Biden administration mm-hmm. is simply authoritarianism trying to be taken on, you know, on steroids, I hate to say. We look at the For the People Act, you know, states across the country like Texas and Georgia, the two World Series teams are making common sense laws to make it easier to vote and harder to cheat. Yet the For the People Act is trying to bring radical things. Many of them start from California, from where Ms. Indejas is from, like California-style ballot harvesting. That's in the legislation that has been stalled in the Senate. Also, you have the uh, unsolicited vote-by-mail ballot. And fortunately, the Republicans in the Senate and a few Democrats have stood in the way. I mean, Joe Manchin, for instance, he's in favor of voter ID, not photo ID, voter ID. That's one area. We look at also the... John, st- John do me do. a favor. John, st- stand by for a moment. I want to go to Danielle Sandeas. She's with the Strategy Group out in California. Uh, she's working on a variety of congressional races out there. She's been involved for over you know 10 years in the market out there. Uh, Danielle, speak to us on the issue of vote harvesting, which, again, is something that uh, uh, happens, uh, I guess, frequently in California that seems to rile up a lot of Republicans. Uh, why is it such a good idea in your view? Uh, it's it's part of a, a law that went into effect a couple of years ago. But, you know, what it really is designed to do is if grandma can't get to the polls because she's in a walker um you know her your grandchild can sign and say you know uh, she authorizes me to return this ballot and then you take that to the voting center or you drop it off in the mail but there is a you know signature from another registered voter in in on the envelope with the absentee ballot that says i am the person who is authorized to uh to come here so i think the sort of uh, the actual practice of it is a little blown out of proportion because I think there's this imaginary idea that people are running around the streets and putting ballots in bags and then taking them to the post office. And that in of its practice doesn't actually happen. If there is a you know protocol that is in place where you have to get a signature, uh, you have they when and uh, when you drop it off at the voting center, there is somebody who checks the signature and makes sure that all of those things are are legit. And so uh, there is a process in place. But I would say the practice is is really done by very few people. Most voters, you know, because but we have let me, let me ask, um, Danielle, you know, expanded Danielle, voting rights in California, me, we just me, have higher turnout me, and more people are voting and let, that's a let good me, thing let, let me ask this question you you've painted a picture of a uh you know of a very positive thing a, a grandchild taking uh a grandparents uh you know ballot uh, and, and and bringing it to the polls you sort of dismissed what some of the republicans suggest happens and that is there are organized efforts by the by the Democratic Party or the Republican Party in some parts of the country. It happened in, with Republicans in North Carolina that uh, that there's an organized campaign that works that way. So my question to you is, can you acknowledge that at times there are those they may be Republicans, they may be Democrats in California who have abused that legislation 
which has led to perpetuation that it's a phony deal and why they oppose oppose it. Has it happened enough for people to say, wait a minute, this is not a good idea? Well, Republicans were the ones who actually put this in practice. Okay. Uh, you know, we well, saw talking, uh, campaign headquarters in Orange can. County with ballot boxes saying, drop off your ballot boxes here. But they weren't official ballot boxes from the county registrar. They were, you know, boxes of, you know, in the headquarters that were for ref- friendly Republican, um, you know, Republican voters. And, you know, they won that challenge. The you know, secretary of state tried to come down and say, hey, this is not how, how you're supposed to do it. And, you know, the the Republicans ultimately prevailed because they were like, this is actually so within Danielle, the law. We're following everything that Danielle, you've asked us let to me do. Ask, so let, both Danielle, sides have, you know, utilized it. Let you know, me the ask the question. Campaigns that so you would, I'm involved let, let me with, ask, most of the time it is ask, that scenario. Let me Grandparent, ask, grandchild, what, somebody you, that they know and a trusted let source. Me, you know, we're, taking, we're having a problem so with Danielle voice. hearing me. So, Danielle, let me take a breath and let me just ask the question again. So what I'm asking is, and you, 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 you very brilliantly, and you're, that's why you're senior vice president, you deflected my question to talk about skullduggery that was done by the Republicans, and I'm not denying that it wasn't happened. I'm, I'm, I'm taking you at your word this evening, but I want to I understand that are you saying it's only Republicans that have used the law for their own benefit, for their own convenience, or do Democrats do that too? No, I think Democrats do that, but it is following the law. And, you know, I think a lot of folks, you know, when uh, when we train organizers to, you know, uh, to utilize a practice, we sort of say as a last case scenario, if their voter has a question and they say, you know, there's no way I'm going to be able to go to a. Uh, a voting, you know, center or a mailbox, you know, would you mind taking this in? We sort of give the protocols and make sure that one, we're protecting our staff and that there is, you know, no, um, no ability to say that this wasn't, you know, put in line. Um, and, you know, I think we're also, you know, making sure we're cognizant of the fact that you have to build that trust with the voter. And okay. so, uh, you know, just because you have the ability to do it doesn't mean it, it's utilized. There are Democratic campaigns that utilize it. And again, there are Republican campaigns that okay. utilize it. But I are, think the sort of nationalization story of it's, you know, such a, you know, it's how we win elections in California. No, we, we win elections in California because we have more Democrats registered than Republicans do. And there's, John, a, there's an inherent registration advantage. In, let me go to our, let me go to state. let me go to John Zom. John Zom, question to you is yes. of, of all of all of the issues that, that 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 surround elections and voting in Illinois. I'm going to ask you about an Illinois question. What is the single biggest fear that you have? Is it voter intimidation? Is it harvesting of ballots? Is it a lack of uh, signatures that can be verified? What, what is it that you would like to see corrected the most in, in your election? And, and where does that fit into possibly a movement nationally? Yes, two major things. One is, as, uh, as John had indicated in, in the phone call, the, the vote by mail system. You know, we, we used to do this, the careful signature matches, which would throw out three to five percent of the signatures not matching between what's on record and and what is turned in. And by ha- by sending out all of these unsolicited vote by mail ballots to people, you know, that have moved away 
you know, that don't even match up sometimes with the national change of address database, that idea of all of those ballots and getting the signatures properly matched is my biggest concern and something that I've actually seen as, as a problem, you know, in, in different elections. And the second one is the, the voter harvesting boxes. And, and remember, this is a creation by the California politicians, the Illinois politicians. You know, I, I thought it was uh, very unfair of Danielle to, to try to bring up an example of, of a Republican that might have abused it. Who created the whole thing in the first place is the Republicans. The reason you have voter harvesting boxes, which are boxes that, that are not U.S. post boxes, is so that if fraud is caught, those very same people cannot be prosecuted for federal postal fraud because no stamp was put on it. That's the whole reason for these voter harvesting boxes, mm -hmm. you know, is, is a way to perpetuate fraud. So those are the two things I'm most concerned about Illinois and nationwide in terms of voter fraud. Well, Felix, your response. You know, if I can dive into this discussion about harvesting and voter fraud, uh, I, I believe that collectively our interest should be to ensure that as many Americans uh, participate in the electoral process as possible. And so to the degree that we can facilitate that process, whether it's through voting on Saturday and Sunday uh, or making it easier to do so with proper ID, there's nothing wrong with proper ID. I cannot believe that we voted in this country as long as we did without ID. Uh, if those things are in place, then what's wrong with encouraging as many people to, uh, to vote as possible? We need to get our voting rolls up beyond the 30, 35 percent or so that we consistently find ourselves at. What's a proper ID? I've, I've, I've never heard, frankly, I've not heard a Democrat ever articulate that position on the air. A proper you, ID what is, is a, a government-issued ID. Danielle, is that a fair thing to ask for? Well, I think if, if there's barriers to getting uh, an ID for people. Um, you know, what I think if they? we removed all the barriers, uh, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have the issue. But ultimately, you know, when you vote by mail, um, there are a lot of verifications that get put in place, and you see this in Orange County, California, one of the best voter registrars in the country. The gold standard for how they, you know, do do elections has you know really perfected this vote by mail system and the verification that the signature issues that. Um, um, that folks have already, you know, John has has mentioned these these are systems that are in place that you know we don't find a lot of a lot of issues of fraud and abuse and you know I think that's because the system is working. Why is it um, difficult? Why is it difficult to have a? Why is it difficult to have? Why is it difficult to have a voter ID though? That, that's the question. I do have to pause now because we have a break coming up. But when we come back, I want to talk. You, you, you basically say that that having uh, you know identification uh, creates a, is a, is a is a hurdle for some people. I'd like you to explain that a little bit further when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight from coast to coast and border to border. Guests tonight in the studio. We've got them Southern Illinois. We got them. And my question to uh, Danielle. Uh, a question to you is, why is it so difficult for people to get an official government ID? Uh, well, because it costs money, because it, you know, if you're living in a rural area, the nearest place to go in person might be miles and miles away. And if you don't have 
transportation to get there uh, if you can't do it online. Um, you know, there's a lot of just barriers to to getting that. You know, 11% of the nation, um, you know, Americans who could vote um, don't are don't have a, a, a voter of, of an ID, and so um, you should know, that we're be easier? Should that be should that be sure easier? That people can make their voices heard in our democratic process. You know, asking them for you know an additional um, you know additional documentation that they might not have access to if they're in a rural area, if they're low income, if they're disabled or they're elderly. You know, that is that is sort of a another barrier to participation. And so, I, so you know, basically, I think that let me need- just double let me let me just double check here, and I want to get everybody's reaction. Uh, basically, we're saying because some people in the country may find it difficult. And by the way, you said uh, it, you have to pay for it. I, I don't know whether you have to pay for a state uh, ID or not. Do you have to pay for a state ID in Michigan? You do have to pay for a state okay. ID. Okay. And how much is a state ID? Uh, it runs in a, a neighborhood of 15, 20 bucks, okay. something like that. So if, if legislatures, Republicans and Democrats, if Republicans, Republic, there's a lot of Republican legislators, if they were to decide, to decide that basically uh, getting a state ID, which Republicans like to have for voting, uh, was something that was made available free, uh, would you support that? Is that something that uh, that, would, that would erase one of the reservations that Democrats have? I would certainly support, support something like that. It is the responsibility of government to, uh, and many countries do, uh, as a part of the and voter uh, process and what, what, what of about providing the copy of, 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 a, of a government ID. What about having voter ID? Well, we have voter ID when you uh, motor voter. You can get your ID when you get your driver's license. Exactly. Are there other places that could be done? Could it, could it be done at banks? I mean, is, could there be an aggressive, bright, smart, bipartisan way to say to every American, we're going to give you an ID to vote in hopes that you will vote? And that would eliminate some of the concerns that the Democrats have, which is some people just, they, they, they can't figure it out. They're not smart enough. They're too, they're, they're, they may be infirmed. I mean, a variety of reasons to make excuses why people can't do what the rest of Americans are asked to do, and that's to have a voter ID. Everyone should have a voter ID, and 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 really, uh, 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 there are very there are barriers, but there shouldn't be barriers because the solution, as you just mentioned, is very simple. We can offer banks. Uh, schools, other institutions that can provide uh, a government ID so that there is no barrier. It's a very simple Daniel, solution. Is that, is that as simple as, as uh, Felix and I are suggesting in your view? It's not because, you know, the what is the proper ID is often the debate. So my sister is a Wisconsin voter. She her state issued idea ID is in California, but she goes to the University of Wisconsin and her so she's got a student ID that, you know, could count. But if the legislature tomorrow said her student ID is irrelevant when it comes to voting, then she lives is living in Wisconsin. She pays taxes in Wisconsin, but she doesn't have the right to vote in Wisconsin because she doesn't have a Wisconsin ID. And that's that's ultimately where you end up seeing these barriers are on those technicalities where students don't feel like they are ones who are attending school in a certain state, yet 